Welcome to the social side of sport, where SPKN's Meg Wilson joins renowned sports sociologist Dr. Jay Coakley in discussions about the relationship between society and sport. Each episode provides a unique perspective as they delve into various sociocultural structures, patterns, and organizations involved in and surrounding sport. They discuss the positive impact sports have on individual people and society as a whole, economically, financially, and socially. The social side of sport provides a quick glimpse into the actions and behavior of sports teams and their players through the eyes of a sociologist. Welcome to another episode of The Social Side of Sport with Dr. Jay Coakley. I'm Meg Wilson, and today we're going to take a closer look at athlete activism in its connection with the U.S. National Anthem. Jay, as always, it is such a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, again, good to be here. (laughs) I always enjoy our conversations. (laughs) I do, too. So let's just jump right in. As we're on the brink of the Olympic Games, let's start with a recent event involving an American hammer thrower and medal contender, Gwen Berry. As some of us know, Gwen has drawn worldwide attention and debate recently for turning her back on the podium while the national anthem is being played at the U.S. Olympic track team selection meet. Jay, what, what are, why are these types of protests such a hot button right now? And, and we're in summer of 2021. It's always good. To right. And we're right before the Olympics. And Gwen Berry is, has made the Olympic team. So she is going to Tokyo and has said that she wants to express herself in Tokyo. And, and this is, yeah, Gwen Berry raised a really interesting issue back in 2019 when she raised her fist while she was on the podium at the Pan Am Games. She had won the gold medal. And when she did that, uh, she was sanctioned by the US OPC, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and she was suspended for 12 months. She and one other uh, woman, a fencer, who also protested at the games, and they appealed that. And in the process, there was all sorts of objections to how the USOPC was using their Rule 50, which which precluded any kind of demonstrations during any part of any games. And there was so much pushback that the USOPC changed their rule. And in response, the IOC thought about their rule and they they tweaked it a little. They didn't really change it, but they said that that demonstrations and expressions of protests could occur, but not on a podium, not in a uniform, not on the on the field during an event, and uh, not in the village. So you know they they really didn't change it a whole lot, but they gave an opening for athletes to talk about their feelings on particular issues in press conferences, which they always could do. So. Gwen Berry has been one of the more vocal and insistent athletes when it comes to protests during official events. So she, during the during the Olympic trials, what happened was when she was going to the podium, they started playing the anthem. Well, they hadn't played the anthem during other podium ceremonies, so she thought she was being set up. And she turned her back on on the flag while that was happening. And when obviously when people asked her about that, and when people had asked her previously, she had said, look, I don't hate the United States. Uh, you know, I care about this country, but you know, it's it's not been fair to my people. And over time, 
the lack of social justice related to Blacks in the United States and Blacks worldwide is something more important to me than, than podium ceremonies, than my place on the Olympic team and the Olympics themselves. So her purpose, she said, was bigger than sports. And she's absolutely committed to that. She represents, she says, those who have died due to systemic racism. And she objects to the Star Spangled Banner because of the lyrics in a later verse, because of Francis Scott Key, who was an unapologetic and overt racist. He was a slaveholder born into a plantation family that held slaves. And in fact, and this is kind of a sidebar, Francis Scott Key had a brother-in-law named Robert B. Tanney, and Key recommended him to Andrew Jackson to be the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And in 1857, Tanny wrote the decision related to Dred Scott. And in that decision, he decreed that Black people had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. That was official policy, Supreme Court decision in the United States in 1857. Yeah. And that was related to Francis Scott Key. Now, Gwen Berry knows all this stuff. She studied up on it. And she felt that that the Star Spangled Banner didn't really respect Black Americans. And the third verse of that song is suggestive of that. And, Fr- and Francis Scott Key wrote that song, all four verses, in uh, 1812 during the war with Britain. And it didn't become the national anthem until, really until 1931, when Herbert Hoover signed it, signed approval for it to be the national anthem. So there had been other songs sung previous to that point. Was it, uh, when it was made the national anthem, it's my understanding that only the first verse was included in that. And that the when the poem was written, it was something like three or four verses. Four verses, yeah. Four verses, and, and then it kind of went to the the military, kind of set it to a British song, a British kind of tune, as a as a kind of as a irony, <laughs> and um, and then it kind of evolved from there. Is that is that right? Right. And and what happened was that those last three verses were dropped by Herbert Hoover because between 1812 and 1931, the British had become one of our main allies. And there were a lot of anti-British kinds of inferences in those three verses. So they dropped it not because of the racial issues and slavery issues, but they dropped it because of our relationship with Great Britain. So they dropped those three verses. So, and Gwen Berry knew that, and she knew all about verse three that has some statements that are anti, or certainly don't respect African-Americans. And that third verse, just for people who who don't know the difference between the poem and the anthem and, and know the exact wording, we're, we're going to put that below for you all in the notes. But the third verse has a line in it, in particular, a couple lines. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of fight or the gloom of the grave. 
And that was referring to the, the people that the British, so the British didn't want to send their own people over to fight this war. They hired their, they hired mercenaries and, and other people and they hired the slaves, although they didn't pay them the same amount, but they also gave them their freedom. So if they, if they would fight for the British, we'll give you your freedom and we'll give you a, you know, a couple pennies here and there. And that's what that's referring to. Right, so, right. Yeah, and Francis Scott Key obviously knew all of that, and he actually had freed some slaves himself, and he defended slaves who were who had been freed, and slaveholders wanted to get them back. And he did that, but he he wanted all the free slaves in the U.S. to go back to Africa. He didn't want them here. He felt he felt that blacks were a race that was distinct, and in his words inferior to whites. So, so he wasn't looking to just send them home. No, no, he was looking it to was send the good of his heart out of the country. Right. So, <laughs> and that's part yeah. of what Gwen Berry objects to. She thinks that the song has roots uh, related to slavery and an approval of slavery. And so she has a hard time uh, respecting that song when it's played. Which is very understandable. She's not the first, though, to raise a fist or to silent protests during the anthem. And not all of them have been for race issues. No, no, that's interesting. In fact, you know, there's been protests during the singing of patriotic songs since the, the, the late 19th century, you know, in the, in the 1890s. And so there were demonstrations during my country tis of thee, you know, when people objected to things that the U.S. Were, was doing. And you know, that all came to a head in the late 60s and the early 70s during the civil rights movement. And but prior to that time, people had demonstrated for a variety of reasons. They, they were anti-war. They were anti-conscription, <laughs> anti-draft, <laughs> anti-draft. And and there there were also anti-nationalist kinds of feelings. Uh, there were religious attitudes that led people to demonstrate during the national anthem. So there were a number of, of the race-related ones during the late 60s and, and early 70s. And there were a variety of responses to that. You know, in some cases, the national anthem was played before athletes had a chance to get on the field so that there wouldn't be any public demonstrations. In 1996, I remember this in Denver, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf who is a guard for the Denver Nuggets and was a Muslim, he refused to stand during the anthem in protest of all of the anti-Islamic attitudes that were being expressed during the mid-90s. And he was suspended from the NBA for his actions. And when he returned to the Nuggets, he stood during the national anthem, but he, he bowed his head and held his hands together during the anthem. And told everyone that he was praying during that time out of respect. So, you know, that was an issue. There were two women basketball players, college basketball players who bowed their heads or knelt during the national anthem in response to their disapproval of their, the Iraq war in, 2000, in the early 2000s and uh, to protest economic inequality in the United States. And Again, other people protested the war in the mid in the Middle East and did it during the anthem. So those kinds of protests were relatively 
common. They got a lot of attention. And but it wasn't until 2016 when Colin Kaepernick protested issues related to police brutality and the lack of social justice for Black people in the United States. And at first, Colin Kaepernick sat on the bench during the national anthem, and nobody really noticed that. Mm-hmm. But a, a veteran emailed him and and or tweeted him and said, you know, it would be a lot more respectful if you knelt rather than sat. So he knelt, and that's when he caught all the grief. Yeah. And, but he was doing it in response to a veteran who had advised him that this was more respectful of, of the flag in the United States. And Kaep- Kaepernick said, look, I'm not against the flag. I, I just feel that during the national anthem, this issue of police brutality has to be acknowledged. And that's what I'm doing. So, and then he was joined by other players that led to an NFL ban on demonstrations and so on. It led to President Trump saying that those son of a bitches ought to be taken off the field. And so it created a big, a big issue. Well, and we are one of a handful of countries that actually you can speak up. And you can protest, you can, there is a freedom of speech. And I worry, personally, I worry that we're losing track of that, that that people are being silenced for every reason under the sun. Um, But some of it is just because, you know, we are protecting everyone so much that there's nothing left to say. I mean, between political correctness and not upsetting you know, people with different, what they want to be called. I mean, we've talked about gender. We've talked about race. There are so many items that we need to be careful of because we do want to be respectful to everyone. And so if you are paying attention and you know that, for example, my daughter the other day said, you know, you can't use the word picnic anymore. That one, one of the universities, I can't remember which one, but one of the universities put out a list, I'm sure more than one, of words you should not use. Mm-hmm. And some of them were, were pretty obvious. I mean, sold down the river used to be a, an expression. Don't think anyone's used that for a very long time, but obviously you don't say that. Rule of thumb was an interesting one. You know, it, it, it comes from England. You could beat your wife with anything that was not wider than your thumb. Right. Obviously not a fan of that one. (laughs) So uh, that one I can let go. (laughs) And picnic, I guess it it comes from, according to this document, people used to picnic for lynchings, to watch the lynchings. And I was floored by that. It just never even occurred to me that they that they were linked in any way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't, I mean, what what person who who doesn't study this on a regular basis would think of that. Right. Such a horrible thing to do. So uh, in in every respect, so it just doesn't enter my mind. But it's it's interesting because we have such a great gift to be able to speak out and we can disagree with our government because we are part of our government and we should be telling them what we're upset with. And it shouldn't mean most people say, oh, well, if they're if, if anyone is protesting, they hate this country. Or if they do it during the national anthem, they don't respect the the vets who had died under our flag. There is another direction, and I could be wrong, but there's another direction that could be seen here is that they do respect the people that died under the flag. 
so that they could have the freedom to speak up and say, let's, you know, this is still not right. It, it, we're still a great country, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, we're still better off than, than some other countries, but we're not there yet. So let's keep trying to make it a little bit better. Yeah. And I think the athletes kind of forced people to think about that issue in, in great detail, especially when entire teams turned out to take a knee during an anthem or before a game. And, you know, Megan Rapino was one of those. Uh, a number of others on the women's national soccer team did that. And, you know, once Colin Kaepernick took a knee, then high school, whole high school teams, uh, in oftentimes predominantly black areas, took a knee. Some college teams did. So, you know, it, it was it was difficult to dismiss so many people. So people had to start talking about this issue in terms that, that you're expressing right now. So athletes have felt that they should have the freedom to use their platform to express themselves. So we'll see what happens during the upcoming Olympics. Well, and the Olympics, the rule is right now, and I'm glad they're looking at a lot of these rules. You and I will discuss the whole finding marijuana and, and disqualify. We'll go into that a, another time, but they are looking at the rules, which is great because when things have been there for too long and, and society hopefully is evolving for the better, we can upgrade our, our rules and regulations as, as we are evolving. So the Olympic trials allow respectful demonstrations on the topic of racial and social justice. This is by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's CEO. And then according to the Olympic Charter Rule 50, which you said, no kind of demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues, or other areas. That includes raising a fist, taking a knee, or wearing certain displays on the field of play or during metal presentations. So pretty much nowhere. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, there's the other issue related to this is that when you do take a knee during the anthem, what happens is that it's easy for people who are not on the same page as you are in terms of social justice issues or Black Lives Matter to turn your protest into an expression of anti-Americanism. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. And I think uh, Colin Kaepernick really didn't expect that kind of backlash. And it really distracted from what he was saying, because most of the media attention was quoting people, including the president and other legislators who, who were saying that he was anti-American. And in response to Gwen Berry, said that she hated the country, that she was the equivalent of a terrorist, that she shouldn't be allowed to go to the Olympic team or, or the Olympic Games and represent the United States. And, you know, Gwen Berry had to respond and say, look, you know, I'm not doing this because I hate the country. I'm doing this for reasons that are are important to me and have been important my entire life and, and throughout history in the United States. And we need to acknowledge these things. You know, so it's, it's a platform, but it's a platform that people can easily appropriate and use to dismiss the athlete related to their patriotism. Well, that's interesting, too, because we talked about NIL and some of the, the college athletes being able to kind of be schooled on how to work with 
with the money they'll be being paid and their development as athletes and with with the platform and now almost an obligation to speak up when you when you have a a, a cause you care about once you get that platform as a as a professional athlete you need to have the communication skills to get that across because you don't, if, if you're doing it for altruistic reasons, you don't want it to be about yourself. You want it to be about the cause that you want to call attention to. And it's interesting because one of our SPKN contributors, Joanne Pasternak, who was working with the 49ers at the time in their philanthropy um, area, she said it was they wish they could have backed him better. They wish they could have helped him with his communication on what he was doing. And so it's interesting that communication, again, comes into play that how important it is that we all try to communicate as clearly as possible and about things that are this important and learn yeah. as much as we can about them. Yeah. And I think the athletes are learning that as they go along. And, you know, now, uh, you know, you're not going to wear a shirt with 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 something related to a cause on it unless you get the whole team to do it. And then when the whole team does it, you know, the coach endorses it and so on. And, and the issue kind of gets a little bit of attention, but it, it doesn't get attacked in the same way as when one person does it, because it's so easy to marginalize one person. And well, that, that actually brings up another point, Jay, is that at what point does it stop being about sports? Like what, if everyone is protesting all the time and, and we're getting all these teams to be protesting all the time, at what point have we lost that, you know, let's just sit down. I mean, I, I, when I live in California, all day long is talked about. It doesn't matter who you're talking about. It could be in the line at the grocery store. You are talking about politics 24-7. And I have to say, I get a little sick of it. And mm -hmm. so for then to turn on the Super Bowl or turn on the Olympics and you're, you're looking for that, you know, feel good American moment where, you know, it's just about sports and people overcoming great odds to, to win the gold. And, you know, those, those great stories I used to look back on, it's, it's not as it's not as enjoyable mm -hmm. to constantly be barraged with these these very strong, very heavy issues. Yes, they're important. I, I'm not saying that they're not important by any means. But is there is there any place where it is free of that and more yeah. about what they're doing? Right. Yeah. It's. Many athletes will say, look, I can't separate myself as a human being from what's going on in the world. You know, I'm not just an athlete. You know, there are things more important to me than sport. And okay, that's, I, I agree with that. But then I would want to sit down and say, okay, what are the more effective ways of expressing your your voice and not just your voice but the voices of all people who think like you do and what is the mechanism that we need in order to express those voices in a way that where we can directly link them to reform actions transformative actions and and really make a change because that's what the athletes are interested in they're interested in making a change so if uh, demonstrating during the anthem becomes a distraction from that that purpose then what are the alternatives that athletes have 
And I think that's pretty much where we are right now. And I think it's, it would be important for, and I'm sure some of the athletes are doing this, you know, getting together and either forming organizations or, or picking their opportunities where, because timing is absolutely essential when it comes to making change. So when are we going to make our statements? How are we going to make them through whose voice Mm -hmm. and on what kind of a platform. And those are the kinds of issues that anybody has to take into account when they're pushing for social change. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, it's not that we want that anyone that should be silenced at all. I mean, that that's not, I want to make sure that we're not sharing that message. We're, we're trying to, to explain you know, expand our brains and, and try and think things through. That's what all these discussions are for. But it's interesting because I started thinking, okay, well, what if I went to the dentist and the dentist, each dentist had a, a, a different, you know, cause that they had to tell you about the whole time that you were in there, or let's say you go to the movies. I mean, let's, a, a lot of athletes, a lot of actors have that same type of celebrity platform that they mm -hmm. utilize for Things. What if when you were watching the movies, it was all about telling you how they feel about a certain cause? It would distract you quite a bit from the from the movie that you paid to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And these are just thoughts that go through my mind to try and figure out, you know, where that line is between, you know, yes, they should definitely speak out and use that platform for good. I, I think every athlete should should be a superhero in that way. Uh, it's just at what point does it make the most impact? Does it make the most sense while also, you know, being paid for, I mean, yes, they are still human, but they also are paid for a job as well. So it's, it's, it's a tough line. I mean, if it were college athletes, I think there's a, a fuzzier line there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, we don't give up our First Amendment rights when when we take a paycheck or when we, you know, matriculate at a university or join a sport team. But I agree completely that if you're interested in social change, then one of the things you want to avoid is a distraction to your cause. And and you also want to be effective. So we, we need to figure out ways to be effective. So maybe it's getting five top athletes to meet with a legislator who has his or her own platform, and they then represent you, and they become the voice. And it's a voice in a context where other people who can make changes have to listen. And so maybe that's an effective way. So there's different ways to make your voice heard. And the big challenge is figuring out which ways are most effective. Well, here's another curveball. Should we stop? Should we change the national anthem? Should we stop playing them at sporting events? What What is the history of the national anthem at sporting events? Yeah, the national anthem, you know, like like we've talked about, didn't get approved until 1931, the Star Spangled Banner as the national anthem. And it wasn't really played at, at all sport events until the 1990s, I guess. And so it's, you know, this is not something that has existed forever. And there are some games 
before which the national anthem is not played. Now, not at the professional level, although I think there might have been a couple of football games uh, when everybody was kind of in a bubble. Uh, I can't remember if they played the national anthem when the players were on the field or not. But we're one of the only countries that that feels compelled to play the national anthem before every major sport event. You know, other countries, most of the European countries, don't play their national anthem unless they're playing in an international contest where the teams are representing the nations. And, you know, both teams have their anthems played. But the United States is is a little bit of an, an exception here when it comes to playing the anthem before in-country games that don't have any international implications that could be tied to identification with the United States and the teams on the field. So that raises your question, you know, should we be playing it? And I think that's something that would be a a real contentious discussion, but I, I can see good reasons for for reserving it for those special international circumstances when a team is representing the United States. And if that's the case, if you're representing a country, say like the Olympics, just to bring it back to Gwen again, should you, is that a time when you should show complete and utter devotion? Probably not a great word, but for for the country that you're representing, I mean, if we've if if we as a country have chosen you to represent us internationally to other countries, should you be putting down the U.S. and the and our should be should you be airing our dirty laundry out, <laughs> so to speak? I mean, these are these are um, I think every country is working on some things, hopefully. Yeah. But is there any time in which an athlete should be wholeheartedly behind the country that they're representing? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the, I know. Yeah. And, and to, to be respectful for uh, having First Amendment rights mm-hmm. uh, and to be thankful for that, you know, would be a reason to stand there during the anthem and then express yourself afterwards or before mm-hmm. and in, in press conferences. You know, the, you, you don't want people to question your patriotism and and I think most of the athletes who have protested during the anthem would say, look, you know, I'm not anti-patriotic. I'm not anti-U.S. What I want is the is the country to live up to its principles, to live up to what's stated in the Constitution in terms of equality. And I think we all want that. I yeah. mean, I, I, I really do. So I. Yeah. So uh, somehow being able to express your your patriotism and your commitment to change because you care about the country is you know that's a a tough line to walk and and where you walk it and how you walk it is an issue that athletes are going to continue struggling with and you know i'm not claiming that i have the ultimate answers to that but i think that it's jay we come to you for all the answers (laughs) (laughs) well i think the athletes need to to talk about that amongst yeah. themselves and to talk about it with people who are really experts uh, related to protest and to expression and to strategies for social change. And, you know, sometimes somebody like Gwen Berry feels like the Lone Ranger. 
you know, where where they don't have any allies and they feel that they have to do this on their own. And this is where they feel they can do it and create a response uh, without having to uh, verbally articulate something other than just saying, this is what I'm for, without going into a lot of detail. Right. So if Gwen Berry had had allies and had had support, maybe she would have chosen another way to express her voice. I don't know. Here's a strange one. We're taught the hamburger method. You say something positive, you slip that little, uh, but you could be doing this better. And then you do a little positive on top. I, I wonder if that is a, is a way to, because I think a lot of people, when they hear these protests or see these protests, they do feel betrayed as Americans that, you know, how, how dare you tell the rest of the world I, I keep coming back to this um, this family thing where it's like it's okay to say that in the you know in the family, but we don't go out and start saying those things right. out in the country. And I I think of the, the Taliban and the I, I know this is out of left field, but North Korea where they're constantly telling people how horrible we are and how horrible the United States are. And I don't I don't I'm not an expert. I'm hoping that that is not true, that the things that they are saying about us, but for better, for worse, do we want to reinforce that by adding to an international view of, of Americans in a certain light? The truth is the truth, I guess. And you do want to, I'm, I'm totally thinking out loud. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is related to all sorts of issues, in connection with American history. And obviously, uh, the United States has not been saintly, you know, through history. And, you know, I think many uh, countries have. Yeah, and right. And as, as is the case with individuals, if you've made some serious mistakes, what you do is you acknowledge those mistakes, and, and you try to move beyond them with with things that contradict those mistakes. And, and I think that's where the debate is right now with respect to critical race theory, you know, because here Which we have- I think, Jay, if you don't mind, can you pause for a second and just give us a definition of what critical race theory is for those of us that don't understand that? Yeah, critical race theory was, was uh, developed in the 1990s by lawyers who were concerned with the fact that racist kinds of beliefs and attitudes had had influenced decisions from the Supreme Court down mm-hmm. to the local courts through the years, and that those decisions then became precedents. And so what we had was a form of racism built right into the legal system. And the lawyers wanted to identify those cases so that we could move beyond that. So you know, my point on Tanny's Supreme Court decision on, on Dred Scott, you know, where he said there's that Blacks have no rights that, that whites are obliged to respect. And that was built in to our system for the better part of 50 years. And it was a precedent in subsequent decisions at various legal levels, judicial levels. So, so how are we going to get rid of that? Yeah. And, you know, the only way is to recognize it and to be very ask critical questions about where it exists and what we can do about it. And so when Gwen Berry says something about the Star Spangled Banner and that verse three, you know, what are we going to do about that? You know, that's 
that's part of, we ask a critical question about that and about Francis Scott Key. And do we want his song to be representing the United States that supposedly we want everyone to love who's a citizen here? And Blacks have a hard time doing that when they know that song was written by a racist and a, a slaveholding racist. Hopefully so. Yeah. So we need to take into account that and to have discussions about it. Absolutely. And I hope we continue to, to discuss it. Before we wrap up here, can I ask, do you know of any country that has changed their national anthem without changing their government or their, the people in charge? You know, I'm not an expert on internet. That's an interesting question, huh? Yeah. We will find out for you and let you know okay. about that. <laughs> Anyway, I love the way that you that you get me thinking, you get me outside the box and uh, talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. But I, I love, I think that in talking about these things and having these kind of discussions, that's where we're going to find the answers. And if we're honest about it, I mean, I, I never say that I'm an expert. I'm the farthest thing from it, but I'd love to stretch my brain and try and find a way through that, that makes the most sense. So I, I know I appreciate our, our um, discussions and hopefully our audience does as well. Yeah. And, and by the way, when we find answers, you know, the answer is just one step in the process of change. And so then we have to hook actions to the answers. And, and that's what we're hoping can inspire and in the people who are listening to us, whoever they are, wherever they are, and come up with, with actions that, that are connected to some of the possible answers that we've discussed here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guess we're not going to solve everything today as much as we would like to. But That's Jay, right. thank you so much for joining all of us. It's so important that we have these and other relevant discussions in our efforts to elevate the discourse in sport. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Jay Coakley, athlete activism, or other important sport knowledge, become part of the discussion where sport knowledge is spoken by joining us at SPKN and all our SPKN contributors at www.spknmedia.com. Thank you. Thank you, Meg. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.